This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Time to head to the turf. Burnley are next up for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, who continue with the Premier League's only 100% record. Battles against Burnley have been hard and fast in recent times for the Reds. The mind instantly goes back to the 3-1 win there last December, as Joe Gomez came off injured. I'm Guy Clark. This is Behind Enemy Lines, as we give you the lowdown on Liverpool's upcoming opponents. Over the course of the next half an hour, we'll analyse Burnley's start to the season, the impact Sean Dyche has had at Turf Moor, and the threats Liverpool are likely to face. Don't forget as well, post-game will be here after the match with all the reaction you need. But joining to give us his insight into all things Burnley is a man who watches them regularly and that is sports writer at Lanx Live, Alex James. Alex, thanks for your time. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Guy. Very well. Looking forward to the game on uh, on Saturday. And you're obviously watching Burnley regularly through the course of the season. We're only three league games in and uh, one Carabao Cup game, which I suppose is where we should start really with it being the most recent game and somewhat of a surprise losing to, uh, to League One side Sunderland. Yeah, it was. Although perhaps if you looked at Burnley's recent Carabao Cup record, it wasn't. Um, I think they stand at one win in seven now in, in that competition. Um, they they changed pretty much the entire team. Ten changes, uh, and to be honest, in the first half they played really, really well for for half an hour. They, they were knocking it around well, and, and Sunderland was struggling to cope. And they they only led one nil at that point. And they missed a couple of chances to to make it two. Sunderland got a goal out of nothing just before the break. Um, came out of the traps and scored twice in in quick succession in the second half and, and Burnley never really recovered. They were very flat in the second half and in the end Sunderland were, were pretty comfortable and, and good value to, to progress. And obviously it's a surprise given that Burnley in the Premier League, Sunderland in League One, but if you look at Burnley's results and performances so far this season, they've all been tight games. Even the one that they lost against Arsenal was a very close encounter. They've won one, drawn one and lost one, whereas that one obviously conceding three goals. Yeah, I mean, they did make a lot of changes. Um, Sean Dyche wasn't wasn't happy after the game. He felt that side, and to be honest, as a as a Burnley second string, if you like, it was it was pretty strong. You know, you've got established international players in there. Um, so yeah, it was a surprise, um, but it was just a game of of two halves. I think maybe subconsciously the players maybe couldn't quite lift themselves, and and uh, and Sean Dyche made no sort of excuses afterwards. He, he was pretty critical of them and said it, it wasn't good enough and. I can uh, I can't see any of the any of those players apart from Dwight McNeil keeping their place for the weekend to be honest. And looking back then to obviously the Premier League campaign that started so far it seems a bit of a different story to this time last year obviously a bit of a wretched start for Burnley but seemed to have started on quite a strong footing this time around. Yeah, it was important they um looking at I think looking at the fixture list these four games going into the international break, it was it was important to get something in that first game of the season against Southampton. Um, and it, it wasn't the greatest game. It was blowing a gale. It was absolutely lashing it down at Turf Moor. The conditions weren't conducive to, to good football, but Burnley ground out a 3-0 win, really. Um, and, and that sort of sets you up for the season. They, they went to Arsenal. They competed well. Uh, they were in the game there. Um, really, probably... Could have merited a draw, but the goals they conceded were were poor from a Burnley point of view defensively. Um, and then at Wolves last weekend, they were, I think, thirty seconds or something like that away from from what would have been a pretty strong away performance and and getting a one nil there. So they'll be satisfied with their points return and they'll be pleased with their performance levels. I think so far. 
and I suppose that's it really when you look at the games in isolation so far Southampton have made a fair few changes through the summer Arsenal of course one of the top six and hoping to get back in the top four and Wolves finishing in that seventh place that Burnley had the year before they do look decent results because certainly the game at the Emirates they uh, they gave Arsenal a, uh, a real good run for their money yeah they, they set up very well there um, and Arsenal, obviously, we know they're going to have a lot of the ball. They're going to probe. They're going to press. They're going to look to get in behind. And, and Burnley defended pretty well. They, they conceded early, and it was a, a goal that they won't like to see back. I think Lacazette managed to to get his way past Ben Mee and Eric Peters and sort of slide one past Nick Pope. Um, and don't get me wrong, Arsenal had chances. Nick Pope made, made a couple of really good saves, but you never really felt Burnley were out of the game um, in the first half. They had as as much of it as Arsenal in terms of in terms of attacking opportunities. Um, Arsenal did step it up a little bit after the break, but that's the thing with Burnley. They very rarely do they get turned over four or five nil in in a game against the, the top six. They're always in there and they're always in with a chance of, of getting a result. And I, I would imagine it will be the same again this weekend, to be honest. Yeah, I was looking at the in prep for having a chat with you. Looking at the the annual league table because I know the first half of last season didn't go well. We'll talk about that yeah. in a bit. But the annual league table for 2019, it sort of seems to paint the picture exactly what Burnley are about. They played 21 games through 2019. They've won eight. They've drawn five. They've lost eight. So a mirror image of their form there. They've also scored 31 and conceded 30. So it does show that they are a very tight and consistent side in many ways. Yeah, that that seems pretty um, pretty mid table, doesn't it? That like I didn't know the uh, didn't know those those stats in uh, in detail. But yeah, since the turn of the year, obviously they had the Europa League this time last year, which um, was a great adventure for the club. It was a step into the unknown for the for the players, most of them, and the management and the supporters. But regardless of how often Burnley said it's not having an effect on the Premier League campaign. It clearly did because they they started the season really really badly um, and they were chasing their tails really until you got to the the turn of the year and they managed to sort of in the end stay up reasonably comfortably with three or four games to go. Um, they haven't had that this year. Sean Dyche is very big on pre-season in terms of the fitness levels. You won't find a, a fitter sort of more well-drilled outfit than Burnley, um, and they managed to take that take that into this season and sort of maintain the momentum that they had at the end of last. And everyone talks about the way that Europa League format can disjoint a team that perhaps aren't used to it playing Thursday, Sunday. But even from, you mentioned the preparation for this season. Remember the preparation for last season. Sean Dyche coming up with a wacky idea of sending two teams out on the same day in different parts of the country sometimes where everyone was playing all the time. But you could see his logic behind it. It just didn't quite marry up, did it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they, they did that again this summer. They, they played two games at the same time to get to get minutes into players. Um, and they're, they're very methodical in terms of um, how many match minutes you've played. Let's make sure everyone's fit and ready. Uh, the important thing, I think, for, for Sean Dyche is that if an opportunity arises or if you want that start in 11, you have to be fit, ready and able to slot in so that you don't affect the team in any way. It doesn't have any sort of negative um, impact as they kind of restructure or, or reorganise and to be fair, I think they're generally pretty good at that. That's why they don't make many changes. They haven't changed the team at all in the league. I know we've only played three games, but and they've only used fourteen players. I would imagine that's going to be among the among the lowest after after three games. And you mentioned Sean Dutch, and he often, from the outside, sort of gets painted as the the typical British manager who wants grit, determination from his players. But as you mentioned, his planning that goes into pre season and stuff. It, it, you speak to him regularly. Is he a guy who is a deep thinker on the game? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's easy. I think it's uh, you get these in stereo, stereotypes in football that, um, you know, take Eddie Howe as an example, who plays attractive football and might be talked about as going to a top six club and being an England manager of the future. And then you've got Sean Dyche, who seems to be tired of this brush of playing 80s kick and rush football up to a front two and, and pick up the bits and pieces. But it it's not quite like that when you watch Burnley week in, week out. And, um, and Sean Dyche himself... He goes out. He goes out speaking to people um, within the game. He's, he's very knowledgeable about football, and he's also he's interested in the sort of the psychology of it. He was he was at Reading Festival um, last week, was it when Reading Festival was on? And he said, you know, he was he was obviously going to enjoy the music. He was there with his, his family, but he also had a chat with the DMD at Reading Festival about management and sort of little tips and tricks of of how to manage a festival and whether that could be applied to football and. He's done that previously, I think, with um, with a couple of rugby union teams, and he's forever trying to take on bits and pieces in terms of a sort of a business-wise sense that might be able to be of use at, at Burnley, which sometimes goes under the radar a little bit. And I suppose the longevity of his reign is something that doesn't quite get picked up all too much. He's closing in now on almost seven years in charge at Burnley, over 300 games in that time, and it's not something we see all too much now, is it? No, I think I think he might be the fourth longest serving manager in in the '92 at the minute. Um, he's certainly high up on that list, and he's done a wonderful job at Burnley. I mean, let, make no bones about it. That first time they went into the Premier League, right at the start of his of his tenure, they caught they caught everybody off guard. Um, it was a huge success. Yes, they came straight back down again, but then we've seen teams come straight back straight back into the Championship and struggled. You you know you look at this season and and Huddersfield at the wrong end of that table and Burnley. Burnley are able to adapt and, and bounce straight back. And while you would perhaps hesitate to call them established in the Premier League, they've, they've had four seasons, they're in the fourth season now. So they, they do know what it's about. And that's a huge amount of that credit goes to um, goes to Sean Dyche, to be honest. Yeah, they're always in and around the, the bookies' favourites to get relegated. But you feel with Sean Dyche there that it is a steady ship and nothing is really going to sort of fall out of kilter. And I suppose during that time he's been in charge, especially since getting back into the, the Premier League, he's been linked with the likes of Sunderland, Leicester, Everton comes to mind as well. But he he has never seen sort of a need to move on as such. Yeah, I think, I mean, Burnley's one of those clubs where it's not, um, it's not a big club in terms of layers and layers of management. And Sean Dyche has a, a pretty direct line to the chairman. He's got that sort of understanding. He's he's not given free reign to, to an extent, but he's left to control the football side of things. And I mean, for a manager, you can't really ask for much more than that. You don't you don't want anybody sort of interfering with what you're doing. You want everyone singing off the same hymn sheet. He's got he's got that ability. Um, you mentioned sort of the, the playing style being 80s kick and rush and you mentioned there with the direct line to the chairman in the glitzy, glamoury Premier League that we have, it does seem quite refreshing and nice whilst obviously there are modern innovations behind the scenes that are used day in, day out that Burnley do have this rather simplistic way of running their club that does work so well for them. They can have that old school manager type who at the end of the day it's it's his decision on football matters without a number of different people sort of sticking their oar in yeah the, the last bit of that's true I'd like to point out it wasn't me saying Burnley are playing kick and rush it was that's the that's the yeah. stereotype that they're, they're labeled with on their on occasion I don't want to be getting into trouble with uh, with Sean Dyche for that one but, <laughs> um, yeah they are I mean it, it, look it is simple that they do uh they do play regularly a 4-4-2 they have got a well-drilled defence Sean likes his defenders to defend first 
likes of Ben Mee, for example, um, and they don't have that sort of director of football in terms of someone who might step in and there's too many people uh, making decisions on on transfers and, and it's pretty much left to Sean and his staff to do to do tactics and stuff. So that that is how you would probably want a football club to be operated. If if you were starting one from scratch, you wouldn't choose to have layer upon layer of, of management and, and all these sort of hoops to jump through to try and bring a player in, for example. So I guess from that sense, yes, you, you're right. And in terms of the setup then of the team, four four two, you mentioned it is an old school British formation, but it has to be well drilled to work so well. And I suppose it shows bravery from Sean Dyche to continue with it when you see so many teams pack out the midfield these days that he believes in what he's got there. He's got two hardworking midfield players, but brave to go somewhere like the Emirates and put both Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up front. And Ashley Barnes, of course, at the moment is more than repaying him. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley Ashley Pons has started the season in in absolutely fantastic goal scoring form. He's he's got four in the first three league games. Um, we mentioned the calendar year before. I think he's the third highest Premier League scorer this calendar year. I think it's Mane and um, Aguero ahead of him. So he's keeping pretty illustrious illustrious company there. Um, and Sean Dyche referenced after the uh, after the game the other night that Jack Cork and Ashley Westwood are forever up against three. In, um, in midfield it's it's always almost always a three that Burnley come across and the amount of work those two get through uh, to sort of nullify that threat is is you know is, is outstanding really uh, and what is it about the setup of the team that it does work so well for getting the the best out of all of those players because you mentioned someone like Ashley Westwood relegated with Aston Villa a fair few years ago now but sort of derided at the time of of being in that team but he's come into this Burnley side and he does seem to be one of the first names on the team sheet yeah he's um I mean he had a fantastic season last year he, he's pretty much swept the board at the the player of the year awards at um at Burnley and I think Sean Dyche has got this what you want in terms of a man manager who believes in his players and gets them to believe in themselves. Um, we've seen it with plenty of... I mean, sort of take Tom Heaton, who was his first signing, had just been relegated out of the championship with Bristol City. Comes to Burnley, probably a few people thinking, why are we signing a keeper who's just gone down? And six years later, he's he's gone down in sort of folklore at the club. He's become an England international. Nick Pope, the same, was signed from a team relegated out of the championship. Comes to Burnley works hard with the goalkeeping coach, Billy Mercer, becomes a Burnley number one and, and an England international. So they've got that ability to spot a player and then they've got the sort of know-how, the patience to work with that player and, and mould them into, into A, what they want for Burnley and B, uh, improve them individually. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. Goalkeeping at Burnley does seem to be an area that's been padded out somewhat the last few years. Obviously, Tom Heaton's moved on to to Aston Villa now. But what is it about Burnley and goalkeepers? Because obviously Nick Pope's there now and in the recent England squad. And Joe Hart's still about, isn't he? He is. Yeah, Joe Hart played in um, in the uh, in the Carabao Cup game against Sunderland on um, on Wednesday night. I think this time last year they were they had Tom Heaton um, just sort of coming back fit. Uh, after an injury, he then picked up a, a niggly injury in pre-season. Nick Pope played in the Europa League against Aberdeen, got a serious shoulder injury. So suddenly they were out without those two. Um, hence the decision to bring Joe Hart in because they needed a bit of an experienced goalkeeper moving forward. So whether they would have done it in an ideal world, probably not operated with with three England keepers, but 
that's where they that's where they sort of find themselves with with Pope um, in particular, a longer term absentee. But Dyche has obviously shown the faith in in Pope. He gave him a new long term deal this summer, hence the decision to allow allow Tom Heaton to go. Um, Joe Hart's now very much number two here, and they signed Bailey Peacock Farrell from from Leeds, who ultimately I think will be the one to challenge Pope in the uh, in the longer term. And you obviously. I'm sure I've probably put the question to Sean Dyche yourself through this. I mean, you mentioned uh, Tom Heaton becoming somewhat of a cult hero at Burnley. He was captain yeah. of the football club. He came back in second half of last year and really helped steer the side right away from relegation trouble. How difficult was it, do you think, for for the club to actually, in the end, part ways with him? Uh, it would have been a it would have been a really really tough call for um, for Sean Dyche because Tom Heaton is one of the nicest blokes you'll meet. He's and he's more than a a sort of a goalkeeper. Obviously, he's an excellent goalkeeper. He's, he's an England international, but around the dressing room, he had that sort of leadership, um, and he was the one that the players sort of turned to. So, not only on the pitch was it was it a decision um, which was tricky, but off the pitch as well, he brought a lot to the football club. But it just really highlights the the faith and ability that they've got with with Nick Pope. Obviously, Gareth Southgate's seen it as well. He's he's called him back into the England squad after just playing three Premier League games in. 15 months or whatever it is um so it's not like they've they've decided for the time's up for Tom Heaton and what do we do now they've got a, a really good promising well probably more than promising established goalkeeper ready to take on that mantle and and Pope's played pretty well in the first three games of this season and they, they don't look a huge amount weaker with with him in in uh, in goal than they did with uh, with Tom Heaton to be honest and Nick Pope is obviously someone who's made the the England squad with Tom Heaton, as you mentioned there. But James Tarkowski not getting in, and me, I know a few Burnley fans are a bit surprised that he's not got in. That sort of those two defenders, given someone like Tyrone Mings, who's just got into the Premier League, has got in. Are there a few surprises that even someone like Ashley Barnes perhaps can't be knocking on a door for Gareth Southgate's squad because there have been players from Burnley who have been given chances from Southgate in the past. Yeah, I mean James Tarkovsky is one of them. He's, he's got a couple of caps. He was on the standby list for the World Cup in um, in Russia. Um, yes, I suppose it is somewhat of a surprise that that he's not involved and that someone who's been in the England setup in you know in the sort of recent past has been overlooked for for Tyrone Bings. Um, most Burnley fans would say, "What more does Ben May have to do to get in this England squad?" He's, he's consistently among the top performers for for his club. Uh, he's been doing it at the Premier League level now for. Sort of five, six years, um, all told. I genuinely don't think he's going to get there now. I think he's he's 29, and perhaps Gareth Southgate is looking at younger players who can who can grow into the England team for for years to come. Um, Ashley Barnes, again, what more does he need to do? He's he scored four goals in his first three games, and he's he scored regularly in in 2019. And we were speaking to um, to Jack Cork ahead of this game against Liverpool and, and he was sort of saying he was at Southampton with Ricky Lambert when Ricky Lambert was doing the, the same sort of thing um, at an age, you know, late 20s, early 30s and and then did get his call up and I think he scored 10 seconds into his debut for England. So I think all Ashley Barnes can do is, is keep scoring goals and, and hope that he perhaps can get in ahead of someone like Callum Wilson, I guess, would be the, the, natural, the natural fit. With an eye on... The game then against Burnley at Turf Moor. It's been, uh, I suppose, a happy hunting ground for Liverpool the last couple of visits. 3-1 win back in December. Of course, that 
controversy with Joe Gomez getting injured in that game and the uh, the arguments two and four for were Burnley too aggressive in that game or not and a 2-1 win the game before but one of the games that always really sticks in in my mind and I think is sort of etched in the uh, the skulls of Liverpool fans for certainly under Jurgen Klopp was that game three years ago now in August 2016 where Burnley basically saw none of the ball but yet came away 2-0 winners and I suppose they're a side who carry that threat they don't rely on possession too much do they they just want to get the ball and hurt the opposition as, as easily and as straightforward as they can yeah I think that, that game will probably go down as a statistical anomaly that there's not too many teams who I think they had sub 20% possession that day Burnley and uh, and got the job done but even those games you mentioned there the, the 2-1 um, in 2018 I think was a last minute um, Clavan goal that, that got Liverpool the points there. The game last season, Burnley led. They led 1-0 early in the second half and then Liverpool came back and won. So, as I was saying before, there's there's not too many times that Burnley will get turned over by one of these top six teams, if ever. They're always in the game. Uh, they've always got a goal in them as well, particularly with the way Ashley Barnes has started this season and someone like Dwight McNeil who can create something out of nothing on, them, on the left-hand side of midfield for them. So, Liverpool will need to be on their guard because... One thing's for sure, Bernie will not give this uh, will not give this game up. No, and obviously Liverpool didn't concede too many goals last year, but Burnley scored three in the the two fixtures. And just looking at it, as you said there, they've they've always got a goal in them since coming back to the Premier League. They've scored in all six fixtures against Liverpool, so it's not one of those where they're going to get overawed with Liverpool coming to Turf Moor. No, I think those those days have sort of been overawed, or the, the novelty of playing the likes of you know Liverpool and Man City and Man United. Those days have, have gone for Burnley now. As I said before, they're in their their fourth season in a in a row in the top flight, and their fifth in in six years. So these occasions now are a commonplace, um, and they're not afraid. As you said before, they're not afraid to take the game to these sides and, and play two up front, and and they don't adjust too much for. For the opposition, I know a lot was made of Arsenal sort of playing with a diamond last last uh, last week to try and counter Liverpool and, and pose different problems. Burnley won't do that. Burnley will line up 99% in their 4-4-2 formation. Yes, they might amend little things here and there, but broadly speaking, they'll they'll go into this game the same as they did last week against Wolves. And how important is in all of that is the experience these players have got? The ones who have now been at Burnley for quite a while. You think of the Jack Corks, the Ben Mees, Tarkowski have, have been at the Burnley in the Burnley squad and, and around the environment for quite a while now. But even the signings you look at in the summer, Eric Peters and Jay Rodriguez, two that really stick out as experienced Premier League players coming in. Yeah, I think the chairman at Burnley always says they want to end the window a little bit stronger than they started. And and this year they, they probably have done that. They, they haven't spent reams of money, but they've probably improved the squad as was evidenced by that 11 they were able to put out against Sunderland five or six years ago if you looked at that 11 as a as a first choice Burnley team you'd be you'd be pretty pleased and now as, as a second choice one it, it's really is strong the depth they've managed to create is um is excellent you mentioned Derek Peters there he started the first three games because Charlie Taylor picked up an injury in, in pre-season he's not looked he's not looked out of place he's been solid he's been dependable he was it was a bit unfortunate to concede the penalty on um on Sunday at Wolves, um, but he hasn't he hasn't looked out of place at all, and and he's someone who's played 100, 200 Premier League games, so he knows what it's all about. And the same with Jay Rodriguez is obviously he's a he's a Burnley lad, he's Burnley born and bred, he's got an attachment to the club, but it's not like they've signed him just because he's from the area. They've signed him because he's an England international who, who can offer them something different. He's a striker who's able to play wide, he's one who can play through the middle, he can hold the ball up, he knows where the net is. 
and he's another who's who's been around the block and he he's got that experience at, at this level. And he's a guy, fans' favourite as well, coming through the ranks. And another lad who really burst onto the scene, having come through the, the ranks last year, was Dwight McNeil, who shows no sign of letting up. It doesn't look as though it was just a, a bright spark who came into the side. He looks as though he's got the, the real makings of uh, sticking around in the Premier League. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic talent, Dwight. He's, um, people, I think, perhaps tend to overlook that he came into that side at their sort of lowest ebb last season, Burnley, when they, they just lost to... Everton, I think it was 5-0 on Boxing Day, uh, 5-1. Um, he came into the team for the, the next game. And that's hard, coming into a side when you're 19 years old who aren't used to winning football matches, to come in and impress and play with the sort of freedom that that he did um, was a real highlight of last season. Uh, he's just been called up into the England Under-21 squad as well for the first time. And he's got a big future in the game. And I think one of the best bits of... Um, of business Burnley have done in the last few months was, was tying him down to a new contract to be honest um, What's the aim now for Burnley wider as a club is it to try and get back to that have they set the benchmark of getting into the Europa League a couple of seasons back or are they I don't want to say happy to make up the numbers because you never sort of seem to hear from Sean Dyche that he wants to just be one of the number what, what is the aim now for, for Burnley as a club I think Jim, the aim always at Burnley is First and foremost, let's make sure we're still in the Premier League next season. Um, when you see te- the teams coming up now, you know the likes of, of Aston Villa and spending 100, 125 million on new players. I know Fulham did it last year; it, it didn't work out for Fulham. But that spending power is, is something that Burnley just don't have. Um, they haven't got owners that are, are wealthy foreign investors. They're owned by um, by Burnley supporters, really. Uh, you know, the, most of the board at, at Burnley are, are fans of the club. Um, and they don't have a, a bottomless bottomless amount of money. Having said that, they've got a club that does everything right off the pitch. It's profitable, and there's not too many that can say that these days. Um, it's got a great training ground. They've got a great manager. They've got a team that knows what they're doing, that are well-organised, and they've got some really talented footballers as well. So first and foremost is to stay up, but you always want to progress from, from where you were last season. Um, I, I don't see any reason why they can't look for the top half this time around, to be honest, there's a, a, you'll know as well, as well as me, you take that top six out and it's pretty open from, from seventh to, to 20th, really evidence with, with Watford being bottom at the minute that most people would probably have pegged as a, as a top half team. So there's not much to choose between a group of those Premier League sides and, and Bernie will be hoping to be somewhere close to the, the best of the rest, I guess. And it seems to be somewhat of a real romantic tale, Burnley, owned by local businessmen, Lancastrian town, that have done things the methodical way, largely with British talent, a British manager. It does seem to be somewhat against the trend, as it were, for the Premier League. Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of British managers actually this season, isn't there? But there hasn't been in the past. It's been Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe perhaps flying that flag a little bit. Um, but yeah, you, you got it right, really. They they got the setup right. When they were relegated from the Premier League the first time around, they used that money to invest in off-the-field stuff in a brand-new trading centre that, that's right up there in terms of facilities in this country. Um, and they backed Sean Dyche to do the job on the pitch and get them back into the top flight, which he did. And that combined with, obviously, the riches then the Premier League brings, means also the sales that Burnley have had in past sort of few years there. They've done got a good record of, you know, the likes of Michael Keane and Andre Gray. They brought in for 
relatively minor sums that, that left for for big money means that they've been profitable in the last sort of few years from that side of things. Um, and, and off the pitch there, there was well run a club as, as you could wish to see, really. Uh, obviously, fans would love to see them spend 30, 40 million on a, on a new player every summer. Um, but equally, fans know what, what Burnley is about and and the sort of the point that they're um, they're at in in football, especially when you look down the road at what's happened at, at Bury and Bolton, that couldn't be further away from Burnley. They've got owners who care. They've got owners who are respectful of of the support base and and are doing things right and, and properly, and, it, and it's paying off for them. And last one before I let you go, Alex, just on the the game and the context of it in itself, the threats that will come from Burnley, I suppose, will be those forward players we mentioned, the wide areas, and I suppose even in in many respects, Turf Moor itself, the fan base, the tight-knit ground, I suppose that'll have a part to play. Yeah, it will, yeah. It's um, it's a sellout, um, as you'd expect. Um, Burnley have obviously only played one one Premier League home game this, this year, and they did win it. Um, they do tend to play well against these big six sides, even if they don't always get the uh, get the results um and yeah when you've got a striker who has scored four goals in three games i think if you know if this was if this was anybody else then we'd all be talking about we'd have spent 15 minutes talking about raheem sterling or sergio aguero or whoever it might be that's that started the season in in such fine form but ashley barnes is one of those who just seems to slip under the radar a little bit but he won't mind that he'll um he'll cause problems for the liverpool back line and they'll know they've been in a game that's for sure i know um I know he's caused problems for them before, and and you mentioned then the wide areas. Dwight McNeil had a really good game in the um, in the Anfield fixture last season, um, so he'll be one to watch as well, particularly because he's coming up against Trent Alexander-Arnold in what will be a a really good battle of of young English talent. Really, well, Alex, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, guy. And uh, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully Bernie can get the job done on uh, on Saturday. <laughs> Cheers, Alex. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Alex James there, sports writer at Lanx Live, watching Burnley up and down the country. Well, thanks to him for his time and for you listening here to Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red channel. We'll be back after the game this evening with post-game offering you instant reaction from our team in the press box, Jurgen Klopp's press conference, and of course, you, the fans. Hope to catch you then. Until then, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.